0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Great to see you today. Thank you so much. What a great time of worship. We've been talking about um, what God wants us to do as the book of Philippians, We've, about how God wants us to abound. He doesn't want us just surviving, but he wants us to abound in life. And, and um, that that out of the sufficiency of Christ, that I don't have to operate out of lack. You know, what God has been revealing to me is that when I operate in lack of soul, I become a consumer of everybody else's soul. You know, when, when you don't know who you are in Christ and there's this constant lack, you become a consumer, even if you don't want to. You, you didn't plan to do that when you woke up. But when we find that when we feel and we know who we are in Christ, that the lack That goes away in our life, and then we can begin the process of beginning to thrive in relationships. Paul said, I pray that you may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. That he wants us to abound in love. That love is the relational engagement that seeks the highest good in all things as directed by God. If you're here for the first time, you're going to find that I am like highly technical when it comes to definitions, particularly uh, because there are so many definitions that we use, like the word love, that we have all kinds of meanings for it. It's kind of lost its ability to qualify what it means. It's called the fallacy of equivocation. It's when you use a word or a biblical idea, but you really don't, the idea has kind of Uh, transmutated, and there's nothing that is transmutated more than biblical concepts in the the minds of people, that what we think God meant and what God really meant is kind of mutated a little bit. What love is, is kind of mutated in our culture, and so love is that relational engagement, because you can choose any kind of relational engagement, but love is that relational engagement that seeks the highest good in all things. Man, I just step back and I think, wow, do I really love my wife? It's like, "Oh, you guys are so cute together. We see you in the hallway, you're holding hands and you're doing that little kissy-kissy thing that you do. And, and it's real, I mean, we, really, we like kissy-kissy things. But, but, but when I step back at the end of the day as a man and I think about, do I love my wife? I have to evaluate it based upon something. What do I mean? It can't be my feelings, because they change 365 times a year. But when I step back and think, are you seeking, have you engaged the highest good of all things in her life? And that's what God is calling us to in all of our relationships. He's calling us, I love it, he's, he wants us to participate in what he's doing. Paul said in Philippians 1:3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel. It's like you guys are taking every advantage of the gospel. You guys are taking every advantage and then you're giving every advantage of the gospel. You're taking the greatest advantage idea of God towards humanity, because that's what the gospel is. I know we can break it up into uh, different kinds of things. Jesus dying on the cross, the resurrection from the dead, uh, the Beatitudes, and and those are all true. But when you think of the gospel as the greatest intention of God towards mankind, Paul was saying to these people, he's like, you guys dove in. You guys got involved. He said, not only did you partake of the advantage of the gospel in your own personal life, receive forgiveness, but you guys are giving every advantage of forgiveness in relationships. See, that's how people abound. That's how marriages abound. That's how families abound. That's how our American culture needs to abound. And Paul was determined that in every situation, he he made this phrase like this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going, to, going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Meaning that if I'm going to live, if I'm going to continue, if I'm going to be in this body, it's like I've already determined that I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to abound in relationship with other people. So that brings us to Paul this week. In the letter of Philippians, he continues and he begins to unpack this more. And, and I have to say, when I was preparing this, Um, I'm good at a lot of things. Uh, I mean, I really am. I got, just like you, I have my strengths and you guys are good at a lot of things too. But today, Paul puts his hand on something that I'm not real good at. and, And I think maybe I'm not the only person in the room that's not really good at this, but let me see if you are, because you may be like, oh, well, this is a free Sunday because I'm really good at this too. But I'm not real good at this particular part. And maybe Paul can kind of help us to understand this a little bit more. But let me, let me read it to you. He says, If there, therefore, is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. This is the relational action that he wants us to direct towards one another in whatever the context of the relationship is. Everything about Christlikeness moving us towards one another. That's the difficult part, is the one another part. I think a lot of us are self-sustaining. A lot of us are going to do what we're going to do on our own. You know, most of us are going to do our job, you know, in the words of Bill Belichick. We're gonna do what we're supposed to do. But I think for a lot of us, it gets difficult when we have to do the the quotient of one another. And so we list a couple things. Encouragement in Christ, the consolation of love, fellowship of the spirit, affection, and compassion. Now I know most of us know what these words and these phrases mean and you already have something in your head but I think we take for granted the action needed for these things to actually happen. He says, intent on one purpose. He says, being intent on one purpose. And I looked at that and it's like, what do you mean? And he's like, no, I want you to be intent on these things. I'm not intent on these things. I'm casual in these things. If I see you, yeah, maybe I'll be compassionate. If you know, run into you in the mall, maybe, maybe, Maybe affection, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. If I run into you at lows, depending on how busy I am and how much work I got to get done back at the house, whether or not I will stop and talk to you. But Paul says, I want you to preload your mind. I want you to be intent on one purpose. And this is what the word intent means. To be mentally disposed, earnestly and intensively to arrange your mind to be ready to move. So just think about how you got up today. And your mind has an arrangement. Everybody has an arrangement of mind. And you may look at this and you're like, dude, this is too much time. I mean, this is, this is too, I don't got time for me to sit around and arrange my mind, you know? Well, let me just say, if, if you say that's too hard, then you might be out of control. Uh, and... Uh, You might want to get a therapist Uh, because if you're not in control of your mind, we got to find out who is in control of your mind. But consider this. If you think this is too difficult, too hard, or it takes too much time, consider this. Right now, today, you may have unhealthy thoughts. You may have hostile thoughts. You may have selfish thoughts. You may have pornographic thoughts. But here's the thing. You still have to arrange your mind with those. They take work. I've looked at pornography a lot in my life. And, and I can probably speak for all the men here. It takes time. You know, you don't just kind of like, what a thought. I mean, would to God that it was just a thought and that it could fly off like a bird landing at a bird feeder. But no, even selfish thoughts take time. They have to be arranged. They have to be, they have to be formulated. There's an intent when you meet somebody, when you're about your life and you're going through your day, when your husband comes home or, or, or when your wife comes home from work, there is this intent. That's, so nobody's getting away without taking the time to arrange their minds. So this idea, just because it's Christian, oh, Paul, I don't got time for what you're talking about, arrange my mind. And it's like, no, it it. Your mind is being arranged and you're arranging it, but you're just arranging it a different way. It's difficult to arrange your mind. So that brings us back to intent on one purpose to be mentally disposed to arrange your mind ready to move. So, what is your mind ready to move on? You know, what, what is it? It's for some of us, our minds are ready to be offended. I mean, like you could walk in here today. And you could already be looking for a way on how I am going to offend you. Or somebody else is going to offend you. You know, you may have already arranged your mind that you're going to be ticked off. Or you're going to be disappointed. Or somebody's not going to live up to you. And it doesn't matter just here, but in any place, you can pre-arrange your mind. So Paul's like, I want you to pre-arrange your mind towards these things. So let's take a look at them just for a second. Because because we know what they mean. But the action is the intent and, you know, front-loading your brain. Okay, the encouragement in Christ. He says, listen, I want you to front-load your brain, ready to move in encouraging people in Christ. That's cool. Letting people know that God, that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that God's got a plan for their lives. That's, that's absolutely awesome. I'm pretty good at this one. That's I, Encouraging people in Christ, that's pretty much a good one. The next one was the one that I got tripped up, and maybe you get tripped up as well. The consolation of love. Well, first of all, what the heck does that mean? I mean, nobody walks around. Most of the time when we say consolation, we think like a loser's prize. Um, But so I looked at this word, and it's, and it's, um, it's an interesting word, but in its original classical Greek language, it means to come alongside somebody and to tell a story. You know, there's a story that you tell them about Jesus died on the cross for your sins, the encouragement in Christ, that God so loved the world story, and that's part of the thing that we encourage each other with. But then there's a point when you put your arm around a person and you... Speak story into their lives. I don't do this well. I do it with a really small group of people. And that group of people tends to be my family. I can do it with my daughters. I can do it with my wife. I can do it with my grandchildren. But I have a hard time doing it with other people. You know who has a great time doing this? Ben Acri. Okay? And, and, and sometimes I'll roll my eyes at Ben. Okay, I'm like, come on, man, come on, just tell them the truth. Well, and he does tell them the truth, but what he'll come up alongside of you and he'll say something like, you know, and and raise your hand if you ever heard him say, you know what? And he'll get close to you and he'll be like, you're God's favorite. Raise your hand if you've ever been told you're God's favorite. Oh my word. Somebody stop that man. Now, here's what I say. You know, Ben, and he can come up here and tell you. I'll say, you know, Ben, technically, nobody is God's favorite, right? You know that feeling that you get that you're God's favorite is the uniqueness of the Son of God and that the spirit of the Son of God is in us, and we feel that uniqueness. But it's not intrinsic to us as humans, but it's something that's intrinsic to God. You know, and you... And you're like, "Wow, you really do have a problem with intimacy, don't you?" <laughs> yeah,. But ben, and, and so I can't give you a verse that says that you're God's favorite, but what he's done is taken the story of God, bringing it alongside of you, and then speaking it as a story into your life. Paul says, "This is what you need to grow in. This is what you need to abound in. And if you're a dude like me, and, and ladies, you're not immune to this at all, but if you're and you're stoic, and you're kind of like, I don't do that. It's like, well, Paul's telling you, you need to start front-loading your mind to do this. You need to start doing, it. and so I've started doing it. I did it this morning with, our, with talking to our wonderful sound man, and, and I just told him the truth. How awesome he is. If you haven't met him, he's an awesome young man. I mean, cool guy. I mean, like, he's probably embarrassed to death right now. Oh, okay, if we're embarrassing people, it's Kelly Taylor's birthday. Yeah, she's back there, yeah, she's back there. Yeah, she runs our lights in the back. Yeah, so. And you're like, well, we don't do that here at Crosstown. It's like, no, God's trying to teach me. It's like, dude, put your arm around somebody. It ain't gonna hurt you. Just kind of get close, I'm like Mr. Ben you know, and just tell somebody, tell them the story, put it, the story into their lives and how encouraging it can be. And it's, it's not lying, it's telling the story, but it's, it's now the story comes along. I can point to that cross all day long. Jesus loves you. Come up to an altar. We'll do an altar call. But when somebody puts their arm around you and tells you Jesus loves you, There's a consolation of love, there is this, the story comes alongside. And that's what God wants us to do. Husbands, when your wife comes home from work, you know, you get up and you put your arm around her and you speak the story. Wife, speak the story. Before you hand off the child, speak the story. We need to, at work, speak the story to one another. Wherever we are, he says, where there's a, uh, maintain the fellowship of the Spirit. And I don't know what the fellowship of the Spirit is. We could, we could have interpreted one of two ways, meaning that stay in the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to kind of energize your fellowship. And that's one way you could rightly interpret this. Or in the fellowship of the Spirit means like an attitude. Like, for instance, like if we were to get all the Clemson fans together today, where are you at, Clemson fans? Come on, where are you at? Wow. You know, it's funny, in the last five years, this crowd's gotten smaller. You were a lot louder five years ago, just like us Patriot fans. But, but, but you know, it's this idea of maintaining fellowship with the spirit of what we're about. That, you know, when all of a sudden us men, we had an incredible men's breakfast yesterday, but it's easy for men to get together and then begin to tell a nasty joke or to just kind of like, you know, punk on each other a lot. And he's like, no, listen, I want you to maintain the spirit of why you guys are together, what you're about. And then he goes into this crazy, this is so wrong. I hate it. He says, I mean, because the encouragement in Christ, all right, I'll do that. Um, consolation of love. All right? All right, it's going to be a little, little hard, but I'll work on that. Fellowship of the Spirit, no problem there. Affection. <laughs> Affection? I mean, that's not even biblical. I mean, it's like, but it is. But not in my mind. In my mind, do your job. Live a holy life. Do what's right. Maintain the ethics. Be pro-life. Whatever it is you are. I mean, it's like, that's for me. And now all of a sudden, the apostle Paul says, I want you to abound in the encouragement of Christ, the consolation of life, the fellowship of the Spirit. I want you to abound in affection. And how many of us have drawn the line? No. That's not it, I'm not, I'm not an affectionate person. Have we not already realized Jesus wants us to die to ourselves? But why do we stop it here and, and, and we sidestep it by saying we take a personality test and it turns out I'm an A type personality, I'm just not, uh, the disc thing said I'm a D. Well, you're, yeah, you're a D all right, but it's kind of like a, <laughs> please excuse me, but it's like, yeah, it's like, but you don't get to remain that. You don't get to stay there when you're in Christ. Man, I that it's amazing how the word affection makes me sweat. I mean, it does. Truth doesn't. If we were to have a conflict, an argument, a debate right here in front of everybody, I'm like, man, I'd roll my socks up. I'd be ready to go. But you... But if somebody was to charge the stage and, and don't do it, I'm telling you, don't you do it. No, Kathleen, don't do it. If you were to run up on the stage and hug me, I'd be like, that's it, we're closing with a song. And forget communion. We don't got time for communion. But seriously, this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to move in compassion for one another. It's like, well, I'll just tell the truth the way it is, brother Paul. If they don't like it, they don't like it. Well, get over yourself with your truth. Yeah, you may have God's truth, but this is the context he wants it spoken in, with affection and with compassion. So why why doesn't this happen in me? What's wrong with me, folks? Now, don't take it upon yourself to come up after the service and tell me. I don't need 300 people telling me what's wrong with me. I'm doing it good enough in front of all of you. But I figured it out. Why doesn't it happen to me or it happen in us? Paul tells us, you have to lower your head. Philippians 2.3 says this, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. With humility of mind let you regard regard one another as more important than yourself." Bingo, this is the problem. Um, This is is what's wrong with culture. See, we're in the offend me culture. We are front-loading ourselves every time we walk into Starbucks to be offended if you didn't look at me the right way, call me by my right pronoun or whatever. I don't know if I'm supposed to open the door for a woman or not anymore. Yeah, that's why. I, well, I'm gonna open it up anyway. But you know, it's kind of like, but it's like, what, what are we supposed to do here? And, and so we're in a culture that's ready to be offended. And maybe some of us are, we're ready to be offended even by our community here, people that love us. But he's like, listen, no, if you're going to flourish, if you're going to be able to move in compassion and, and affection and, and putting your arm around another person and speaking the story into their life, you're going to have to lower your head. And so I thought about that. It was like, what, what do you mean by lower your head? If you drive, you probably have seen this sign. Uh, or maybe you, apparently not everybody has seen this sign. Um, but you have probably seen this sign. Um, every parking garage has one, and it's kind of like the maximum height a vehicle can be in order to enter into this this kind of environment. But not everybody pays attention to the signs. Watch. Well, I can pretty much guarantee you that's a rental. And this is why you don't buy cars from Hertz Rental. Use cars because this is what happens. The crazy thing is, the driver in this car only had to do one thing. What was it? Take the air out of his tires. He just had to lower his head. That's all if we are going to move in intimate spaces with people, you want a more deeper, intimate relationship with your husband or with your wife or with people at work or with your children, then you are going to have to lower your head. You're going to have to let a little air out of your tires. And and it's like, wow, this is... This is so amazing. With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Humility of mind is the intentional lowering of your self-perception, priority, and focus for the purpose of moving in relationship with others. That's a lot. It's the lowering of your self-perception your priority, and your focus, all for the purpose of moving in relationship with others. But let me be very clear. This is not the lowering of your value. I do not devalue myself for other people. I have been given the value I've been given through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and I will not give that away. But I love the way I've heard this phrase Kind of explained is this way: It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That really does define it. See, I don't think I am better than anybody here. I am. I am not. I I know some of you are going to have a hard time. I am not a prideful person. I just think about what I have to accomplish more than what you have to accomplish. I think about my daily requirements and what I have to do and I assume I'm going to do that. Now, if you just happen to walk along the way with me while we're doing it, then that's cool. We call that fellowship. But otherwise, I'm going to my office, I'm going to do what I do. And not because I think what I do is better than what Brent does or what Linda does or what Ricky does, but it's because, no, I just kind of lock into what I do and I don't Think about the interest of others. That's my big, that's my big thing. Um, it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I know you may be saying, and you may be here and say, yeah, but, but Paul, I'm a big deal. I'm a boss. I'm in charge. I'm a business owner. Uh, I can't afford to do this. Or you may be thinking this. Well, what if I do this and people hurt me? Or people walk all over me the moment I lower my head. This is why Paul says in the very next line about Jesus. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself lowered the tires, lowered his head, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made into the likeness of man. It's like, wow. It's like, yeah, that's what you do. You lower yourself. God could have easily, Jesus could have easily say, listen, I'm God and I'm just gonna kind of, I'm gonna come down here as God, looking like God and all that other stuff. And, and I still want you to have relationship with me. But no, Jesus is like, no, I'm going to lower my head. He didn't empty himself of his value. He was still the second person of the Trinity. He was still the son of God. But he lowered himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. Being the found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is when you hear this sound, that's the sound of the rubber hitting the road. This, and I know some of you are like, no way. But this is what God's calling us to. This isn't America. This is real Christianity we're talking about. So, well, Pastor, you don't, run a, you don't know what it's like to run a business. You gotta be this like, okay. Well then, you gotta decide, is the attitude, the intent of your business greater than the intent of Christ towards us. I mean, Jesus is up there running the universe. I think he's a pretty big deal. But he took upon himself the form of a servant. This is where, this is real Christianity. This is where you find out if if you're doing an artificial Christianity or you're doing a real Christianity. I mean, because I'm, can I just be honest with you? I mean, from my carnal self, I don't want to mess with any of you. I'm just being honest. I mean, I I just want this is why this church never grows over a thousand. It's because I say things like that. But I'm not I'm not going to boast that we're growing this church based upon whether or not I have good human thoughts towards you. We're going to grow this church based upon us having the mind of Christ, dying to self. Being like Jesus, lowering the air in our tires. See now you can be like super cool with me. Cause like wow, so he's interacting with me. It's like wow, Jesus is really at work at this guy. Cause this guy is just another arrogant Bostonian. <laughs> All by himself. That's what I am. But that's not what I'm called to be, is it? And I'm being a little hard on myself, but but you know what, you, you southern folks, you can be as sweet as sugar and <laughs> at the exact same time bless your hearts just bless you bless this is this is something for all of us this ain't eye for an eye this is the real Jesus this is lowering your head to hold someone else up to excel that's the kind of church God wants us to be um Let me tell you, just like God raised Jesus from the dead after he did all the self-lowering, new life can raise up your relationships if you're willing to lower your head. I I know it takes two to tango in a marriage, but I will tell you this. If you have any hope of your marriage abounding with love, encouragement and compassion and affection, and affection and, and more affection, if you're having then you're going to have to lower your head. But I can promise you this. Jesus didn't lower his head to be stepped on. Jesus didn't lower his head to remain in the grave. Jesus lowered his head and God glorified it. And God raised him from the dead and and exalted him to the right hand of the glory of God on high. Let me just tell you, if you want your relationship lifted up, if you want your family culture to be raised up, if you want your attitude to be raised up, there's going to have to be somebody who's going to have to lower their head. If you want to move into tight, intimate spaces, you're going to have to let a little bit of air out of your self-interest. You may not be prideful, but you may be thinking about yourself too often, like I do. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but on the interest of others. Begin to move upon the interests of others. I like this word look out because it means to scope out with an investment in mind. It doesn't mean to see. It means to look out with an intentionality. I have this little program on my phone. It's called Robinhood. And it's like one of those uh, apps that you put on to invest in stuff. And so I get notifications. All of a sudden, it will tell me It'll push a notification. Tesla stock just dropped a, a dollar. I mean, one hundred and eighty-four dollars, and I'll be like, "Oh, this is good. This is good. Buy now, buy now." It'll go up to two hundred and fifty-six dollars by the end of the year. It'll be amazing. But what I get is this: I have this little app that's looking out for investments, just just looking for things to kind of buy into. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, "Look not only on your own interest, but scope out the investment of other people." I mean, that's crazy. You know, it's like, how can I invest in your life? Can you imagine that? Instead of a husband and wife fighting over, well, you know, we need a new kitchen. Well, you know, I need a new 220 horsepower motor on the back of my boat. It's like, well, that's your money. No, well, this is my money. Well, it's all my money. It's like, you know what? That that marriage is going to hell. I guarantee you it's going to hell. This is the attitude, it's like, no, husband, wife, whatever, dating relationship, work relationship, boss, employee, it's like, I want you to look out how I can make an investment in your life. What will, make, what will raise your stock? Oh my goodness, can you imagine being a part of a church like this? I think we are, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, I, I think we're in a church, you are in a church that where the people are performing better than the pastor which is great. I'm totally cool with that. Uh, We got a church where people are looking at how can I make your life better? How can I make your marriage better? That's what these small groups are. These are places where you come alongside and put your arm around the other person and you speak story into their lives, the story of God into their lives. We're not just doing groups just to do groups because we're losers. We're, We're doing groups because we're creating spaces so that you can come and you tell us your life so we can invest in you. Man. But God wants us to do this personally. To begin to make relational investment in others, in encouragement, in the consolation of love, and fellowship, to invest in in affection, in compassion. So as we go to communion, and that's what communion is. is, this is compassion, this is affection. This is the story that God is speaking. When we take the body, when we take the the cup, when we bring it into ourselves, we are taking the story of Christ, the affection of God and love for us into our lives. But let me encourage you as you do it to challenge yourself. For your relationships to abound, you have to lower your head. There's no other way to do it. If you're in a relationship of 50-50, married or not, It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And it's really not 50-50. There's usually somebody who's got control. There's always somebody that's got the 51 and the 49. But if you're willing to lower your head and throw 100% of you into the relationship, see, that's what 100% is, is that you're not looking only on your own interest, but the interest of others. How do I make my wife, my husband, my coworker, how do I help them excel? Instead of getting the job instead of them, how do I help them become the best they can for the job they do? This is, this is so amazing. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 12. I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if the seed will lower its head, let the air out of its tires, if it will die to its own self-interest, it produces many seeds. See, our own self-interest is undercutting our self-interest. Because we all want love. We all want affection. We all want compassion. We all want friendships. We all want meaning. Every TED talk, that you can listen to in the last five years. Every neurological research that's been done on the brain is telling us over and over again, unequivocally, Christian or non-Christian, that humans live longer and better in good relationships. So I'm, let me just tell you, this isn't just about having a good church. This isn't just about having a good marriage. This is about you surviving about you living you know you flourishing in life but unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it will remain alone that's what Jesus did that's what we are called to so if you're like me and and I believe me there's nobody who is more self-aware you'll meet in life than me I'm I'm Questioning every thought in my head, I'm a little bit too much in my head. But when I think about why is it that I I have these, these difficulties of affection, I know what it is. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of intimacy. You know, I uh, not with my wife I have amazing exposure to her, not to my children. Not at all. Not even to my grandchildren. It's like, man, I'm scared of you. I'm afraid you'll find out. Or, no, I'm not really scared of that. I tell you guys way too much. I don't know. I feel like lowering myself will, that you'll, maybe somebody's going to walk all over me. And I don't want to, I don't want to die that much. But you know what I've robbed myself of? And maybe what you have robbed yourself of? Is deep intimate spaces of relationship. New parking garages that you can go in and you can have you can have deeper intimate relationships, but you're going to have to lower your head. Otherwise, you as a seed will abide alone. Father, we thank you so much. And today we take part of bread in communion. And bread comes from wheat and wheat comes from a seed and you are the seed that fell to the ground and today we eat the bounty of that seed we call it bread God may this same process happen with each and every one of us in our relationships may we have the courage of your example to lower our heads not give up our value but to think about ourselves a little less often to purpose in our minds to front load ourselves to move in affection and compassion and love to not look only on our own interest but to scope out how we can invest in the success of someone else other than ourselves. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are reminded that that's exactly what you did. And this is real Christianity. But you've also promised that the same Spirit that rose Christ from this death will also rise and raise us from our own deaths. So today, Lord God, help us to grow in love. Help us to abound.